The problem with talking about the Holy Spirit is that there's a lot of mystery there, right? Um, as the people of Jesus, as the people of Jesus, sit am I on there? I think I'm starting to hear myself now. Okay. I didn't know if like in my wardrobe change, I didn't turn on my mic. As the people of Jesus, we, we confess a trinity, which is a mystery, right? That, that the third person of the trinity is God. We confess the mystery that God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that each person is fully God and that there is one God. That is a mystery. The Holy Spirit might be the most mysterious of all the members of the Trinity because while we're comfortable with talking about God, while we like to hear about Jesus, and you're in a church that really uses Jesus language more than God language, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, that just becomes a whole other ball game because it's just so complicated. It's not helped by the fact that some of us grew up on the King James Version that calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. So let's say we try to get past some of our awkwardness and we want to take the Holy Spirit seriously. But when we do that, we start to find that the waters are pretty muddy because we've heard of TV preachers that have used the Holy Spirit to work miracles, uh, to do mighty things, but then we've also seen them carried away by the IRS in handcuffs. Uh, we've maybe known uh, a person that was supposedly had the gift of healing or we've seen people on YouTube slain in the spirit, but then we've also heard of these people having really ugly personal lives. And so no matter how many stories we hear of someone's experience with the Holy Spirit, because it comes from this life that doesn't match up, there's something that misses there. Then we hear of these people that are speaking in tongues. Not that we entirely know what that is, or maybe we've heard of people running in the spirit. There was a church in our community here that people were running in the spirit for a time. There was an, a thing called the Toronto Blessing, where kind of like a revival happened in Toronto, and um, people reported barking in the spirit, like a dog, barking. And so we hear of these things, and it's kind of connected with the Holy Spirit, and we're just not sure how we feel about him. Uh, my dad, when he was teaching me how to brush my teeth, always used to say, a little dabble do ya. And I feel like that's kind of how we feel about the Holy Spirit. Like, we, we're a good with just a little dab, just a tiny bit, uh, maybe a little bit of this. Like, we can pray, maybe, Holy Spirit, would you convict my friend of their sins? They would come to see you. Would you awaken them spiritually? But if you could stop there, please, right? For many of us, and even in the traditions that I've been trained in, the Trinity is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity becomes Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, and so the problem with all of this is that when we have an apathy or a suspicion or even a fear of the Holy Spirit, we have an apathy and fear and suspicion of God. We have an apathy and fear and suspicion toward Jesus who says that the Spirit is, is his Spirit. And so as we're kicking off this, this series for four weeks called Third Person, my goal really is not that we be a church that runs in the aisles, mostly because the aisles are very short and that wouldn't be very fun. Um, not that we're a church where there's speaking in tongues, I don't, unless the Lord leads that way, but what I want us to develop is a familiarity with, a friendliness toward, and a companionship with the Holy Spirit. Because Paul prayed that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. He, he said, do not be drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the flesh's, spirit, the, the flesh's desires. The Spirit is how Jesus, in the end, is truly active and present to us in our lives. And so when we fear that, 
We fear him. And further, Scripture talks about the Spirit as the inheritance that Jesus died to give us. If you got a letter in the mail this week that great aunt Mabel had died and left you $250,000 as an inheritance, you would not shred that letter. If you feel tempted to do that, call me. We will pray with you. I, but here's, you, you would seek after that inheritance. When we fear the Holy Spirit, we fear the inheritance that Jesus died to give us. And so we see this Holy Spirit present throughout Scripture and I, I, I kind of wrote a biography that's about a page and a half long of everything that the Holy Spirit does. And Kat, the intern, told me it was the dumbest and stupidest thing she ever heard and so posted online. No, I'm just kidding. We all agreed. She's not in the room. So. Uh, but she, it was Steph, and she just said it was a little dry. So that all, the Holy Spirit's resume will go uh, on the website uh, probably tomorrow. But we see the third person of the Trinity active all the way through Scripture. I mean, he's an active agent in creation, hovering over the waters. He comes upon Israel's leaders to help them lead. Um, in the New Testament, it talks of how he prays with us when we don't know what to pray, how he works within us to help us learn obedience, how he is the agent of the miraculous in the church age. And actually, the last Sunday of this month, we're going to do a panel discussion on the Holy Spirit and the miraculous. So a couple missionaries uh, from Southeast Asia that we know are going to come, and a couple other people I'll be inviting to kind of talk about what miracles have you seen and answer our questions about how do I know what's genuine. But the Holy Spirit is the one who, when you are engaging with Jesus, when you are engaging in the spiritual life as a Christian, you're doing it by the will of the Father, through the accomplishment of the Son, through the power of the Spirit. Everything we do is through the Spirit. And so we've got to develop some familiarity with this. And nobody was more interested in us developing that familiarity than Jesus. In John's Gospel, we find a Jesus who talks more about the Holy Spirit than almost anywhere else in Scripture and more than anyone else in Scripture. Jesus wants to peel back the curtain to help us see this mysterious person in the Holy Spirit. And he does it in John chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, let's go to John 14. I've got this new table I can spread out. It's really exciting. Um, John 14. We're going to be in verses, just verses 16 through 18. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. Let me pray, and we'll get back to it. Father, we, we come to you today longing to know you. As we just sang, God, we want to know you more and more. We're hanging on every word. And so would you speak to us? We're listening today, Father, because we want to hear from you through your spirit so that we can be more faithfully the people of Jesus. So help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John 14, 15, and 16 will kind of be our center of gravity for the next couple of weeks because that's where Jesus talks most about the Holy Spirit. And he introduces the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, another advocate who will never leave you, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't recognize him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you will know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is talking all about the Holy Spirit with the disciples and he has this conversation against a backdrop where he just told them that he's gonna leave. He just told them that he will ascend and return to his father in heaven to begin his, what we would call like his kingdom or heavenly ministry. 
Uh, right now, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, executing his will through the church uh, in, in the world. And so Jesus says in, th- in this passage, which you've probably heard in funerals, uh, chapter 14, 1 through 3, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when everything is ready, I will come and get you, so you will always be with me where I am. Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled, but the disciples find that their hearts are a little troubled, because what are we going to do without Jesus? What does it look like for us to be on this kingdom mission with Jesus without Jesus? And so Jesus says, I'm going to send to you another I'm going to send to you the advocate who is the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' absence, he sends his spirit. And notice this, that Jesus' connection and relationship and identification with the Holy Spirit is so strong that Jesus says in sending the spirit, he's coming to us. He says in verse 18, he says, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus' connection to this Holy Spirit is so intimate that by sending the Spirit, he's basically sending us himself. And so Jesus makes three claims, three claims in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, that talk about our daily interactions with the Holy Spirit, who is not a ghost, who's not solely the agent of the miraculous, but who longs to be a part of our lives as we grow into the image of Christ. We're gonna go to school today. I don't know how else to tell you this. This sermon is like Moody Bible Institute classic. So I kept trying to be more fun. You got me in a costume. Let's call it good and keep going. You know what I'm saying? But that, so the first thing that Jesus says, let's go to school. Look at verse 17. Jesus says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads to all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be within you. Look at what Jesus says. He does not say you can know the Holy Spirit. You can know him as an option. He says, he doesn't even say you will know him. What does he say? You know him. He says you know him. There's this interesting parallel uh, to John 1 because it says the world does not recognize him. If you remember back to John 1, if you were with us, John 1 verse 10, Jesus came into the world that he created, but the world did not what? Recognize him. That same word for the world not recognizing Jesus is the word John uses here in John 14. The world can't recognize Jesus. The world can't recognize the Holy Spirit. It's not looking for the Spirit. It's not seeking him. There's something unrecognizable. But for those who belong to Jesus, we cannot just be aware of him. We don't just understand him factually. We can know him, Jesus says. We will know him. We will know him, uh, Jesus says, in the same way that the people in Samaria knew him after the woman at the well met Jesus. Because in chapter 442, it says, now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. We will know We will know the Holy Spirit like the disciples knew Jesus after everyone abandoned him. Now we know that you are the Holy One of Israel. We will know the Holy Spirit in the same way that we know the voice of our good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I walk ahead of the sheep and they follow me because they know my voice. John's using this word, know, it's gnosko. It's a Greek word that doesn't just mean I know about it. It doesn't just mean experience. It doesn't just mean factoids. It means 
means I experientially and personally and intimately know the Holy Spirit. In other words, I have a relationship with the Spirit of God because of who, what Jesus has done for me is what Jesus is saying here. We can, listen to me, we can know the Holy Spirit active in our lives personally and intimately and unmistakably and reliably. We can know him in our daily lives. This is what Paul meant when he said we would walk by the Spirit or that we would be filled with the Spirit. He says we can know him, but here's the question. How do I know when I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit and when I've had a bad taco? How do I know when I'm encountering the work of the Holy Spirit or I am encountering some smoke and mirrors of a ministry person who's just trying to kind of use the Spirit to his own ends? How do I know when I've encountered the Holy Spirit? A couple weeks ago, I, uh, Mitch was with me, Lindsay's husband. We went and visited a nursing home at the request of somebody at Grace Campus. And we go, we meet with a guy, and then she says, hey, I want you to meet this other guy. And he sits down with us, and, and he says, hey, do you guys believe in the gifts? And I said, well, Scripture says that God has given gifts to the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, so we believe in the gifts. I said, I'm, I'm an apostle, teacher kind of giftedness. Mitch is kind of a shepherd, prophet, giftedness. He goes, well, I'm a prophet. He says, I know things that people don't know about me. And so he, he says, I've got something for you. So he goes running back to his room and he gets the Bible and he flips to Exodus chapter 23 and he says, I want you to read this. Exodus 23, it's, I'm gonna put the angel before you. Israel's walking through the wilderness. I'm gonna put you in the angel, the angel before you. Do not disobey him. I put it, your words into my mouth, into his mouth. Uh, you're gonna go into land and you're gonna kill all of these people and then you'll possess the land. And when you get there, you'll have food and water and neither shall you miscarry nor shall you be barren. Now, if you know anything about our personal journey, we've been having some struggles with infertility for the last year. And so this guy hands me this passage and says, you shall not miscarry nor shall you be barren. How do I know that this guy isn't crazy? And how do I know if that was really God? People come up to me all the time and say, hey, God told me to tell you this thing. How do I know that they've heard from God? And how do I know when they just kind of had something they wanted to tell me? How do I know? Jesus gives us two guides in this text. And the first answer to how we know may be a preacher punt. And if it is, we'll try again next week, okay? Because uh, this is the question I wrestled with, but I'm just telling you what the text says. Look at what Jesus says. You will know him. Why will we know him, Jesus? Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit and he says, you will know him because he lives with you and in you which kind of feels like Jesus said, well, just because you will, right? <laughs> Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as the advocate, which could mean helper or friend or comforter or encourager. Uh, the Greek word Jesus uses is parakaleo. I'm not supposed, in, in seminary, we talk about uh, how Greek is like your underwear. You should, you should be wearing it, but not show it to people. So I've shown you my underwear twice this morning. Um, Greek, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is parakaleo, which is one who is called to be beside. Jesus says, I'm going to send you somebody else who's the helper or the advocate or the encourager who is called to be alongside. He will be right there beside you all the time. There will never be a moment, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit 
that I, by my spirit, will not be right by you. But then he goes further. He says to the disciples, and later he's going to be in you. What was later for them is now for us. When you step across the line of faith, think about this for a minute, the Holy Spirit, God himself, takes up residence within you by the power of the Spirit. You are given a full measure of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you the very moment you say yes to Jesus. And he says, he says, because he's beside you and because he's in you, you will know him. Do you remember the Verizon commercial? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? See, Jesus tells us that our connection to the Holy Spirit is not a wireless connection. He says it is not, uh, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Because he's always right beside us. My wife said, maybe it's kind of like the Holy Spirit is like those earbuds that the Secret Service wears so that they all hear stuff, but you don't see who's talking to them. But that's not even close enough because really what it is, that implies distance. Really what it is, it's like our connection to the Holy Spirit is hardwired into us from the very moment we say yes to Jesus. And Jesus says, because of that hard wiring, when God wants to get your attention, you're gonna know about it. See, I get caught up in this question. How do I know that I know? How do I know when I'm experiencing the spirit? And how do I, how do I, how do I know when it's just fake? But do you notice that the disciples don't call time out on Jesus and say, whoop, hang on, how will I know Jesus when it was the Holy Spirit or a bad PETA? He, they said, no, he, Jesus says, you're going to know. I'm fairly convinced this how question, how is not a question Jesus answers. We ask a how question, that's an enlightenment question. He answers a why question. Why will you know the Holy Spirit? Because he's going to be in you. Um, think about it a little differently. I, I'm wondering if that's the wrong question in general. I'm wondering if the question of how do I know if I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit is the wrong question. I think the right question is, am I living in such a way that I'm ready to hear from a God who says he's ready? to talk to me? Am I living in a posture of listening toward a God who, by the way, while running the universe, might have something to say to you? Jesus says, you will know because he's in you. And you will, listen, you will know the voice of God. You will know the voice of God when you walk into sin and you immediately know you've done wrong. We call that conviction. You will know the voice of God when you are talking to a friend about, who doesn't know Jesus, and all of a sudden you find yourself saying things to them that make sense that you just didn't even really know. You will find the, the voice of God in your life when you are discipling somebody, and an image comes to your mind that perfectly describes where they're at. I was at a a meeting, I was talking to a guy over coffee this week, and I said, as you talk, the image that keeps coming to my mind is a tumbleweed. He said, you're dead and rootless. How's that going for you? Uh, you will know the voice of God when your life is falling apart, and the voice of the comforter comes alongside and reminds you of what scripture says. If God wants to get our attention, you better believe that we're gonna know because if, if one of you wants to get my attention, I eventually figure it out. I'm dumb, right? I'm stupid. So unless you say, like some people do this thing like, yeah, we should get together sometime. And I'm like, yeah, that would be great. And then they're kind of like, no, that meant, Kyle, that meant get together with them. <laughs> you know. Um, but if you want to get my attention, say I need to get coffee. We need to talk about this thing. Man, if my wife needs my attention, she knows how to get it. 
If we believe that God is a relational God, if he wants to get your attention, Jesus says, you're going to know. You're going to know. And maybe that's not clear enough. So Jesus gives us a second filter because he also says in verse 16, I'll ask the father, he will give to you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who does what? Leads into all truth. Uh, The spirit and truth are like the UK and the US. They have a special relationship. Um, the, the, The spirit is drawn to truth like a moth is drawn to flame. He is drawn to truth like a magnet to metal. The spirit goes where truth is. Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16, number one thing he talks about the spirit doing is not the miraculous. It's not not speaking in tongues. It's not healing people. It's not causing the blind to see or making the lame rise up and walk. It's not delivering people from poverty or even their demons or their sin. No, the miracle that Jesus says the Holy Spirit works in John 14, 15, and 16 is that he guides us into all truth, that he reminds us of the teachings of scripture. The Holy Spirit in this time period is kind of boring now. He's not very creative. He's more like a parrot than he is a painter. He mostly echoes what God has already told us in scripture. And so I was uh, out to lunch with Art Cooper and I was wrestling through something. And if you don't know Art, Art is a prophet who walks among us. The prophets are those who hear and talk to Art for too long, it's gonna make you uncomfortable because he's gonna know something about you that you didn't tell him. And, uh, but I, so I went to lunch with him because I was kind of wrestling through something. And he said to me, we're sitting in Chick-fil-A, and I said, here's what I'm wrestling through. And he says, I feel like I hear God saying, do you trust me? And I began to weep, not because the chicken was delicious, uh, which I've done before. I began to weep because I knew that was God's voice. I knew that was from God. And, and, and so what we, found is, uh, what we found is not saying anything new, because I'll tell you what, if the scripture leads us back into all truth, doesn't the question, do you trust me, sound a whole, whole lot like scripture? Often when God speaks, he's going to repeat scripture word for word or paraphrase it or say it in a way, or show it to you in a way that just sounds so much like scripture, it's just got to be him. He will guide us into all truth. So let's say God is saying something to you. Let's say you feel like God has been telling you something and you're not sure if it's from him. Let's say somebody walks up to you and says, hey, God told me to say this to you. By the way, I don't know if we'll get here, but as a community that is growing in openness to the spirit, and, and not to freak you out, but people are, in our community, there's weird things happening where people are saying, like, I feel like God is saying this to me, um, which I think is pretty cool. You wanna say that like this. Hey, I think God told me blank for you. Do you think that might be true? You're not God, you have no authority. Do you just share what you think? And if they say, no, I don't think that might be true, you chalk that up to, well, I'm sorry that I'm crazy. There's a growingness to this. But say you feel like God is telling you something. Let's say that you feel like God has told you to tell somebody else something or that you've heard something from somebody else from God. How do you know? Well, Jesus says, you're gonna know because I'm with you and in you, which I think is also Jesus saying, do not be surprised when you do hear from me. I'm wondering if, I'm wondering, this is actually kind of just coming clear in my head now, which is, you know, eight hours of prep, awesome. Uh, Jesus is kind of trying to develop in us a lack of surprise for when God has something to say. 
that it's the norm that he will have something to say than not, and that you will know that. So Jesus is trying to help us in that. But he says, you're going to know that you know. So we say that God wants to speak to us. He has something to say about my life. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that this might be it. And so then I'm going to run, but maybe I'm still not sure. Maybe I'm still not sure that's from the Lord. I'm going to go back to scripture. And if it sounds scriptural, that's probably good. If God is telling you, let's all drink Kool-Aid and and kill ourselves and get to heaven faster, scripture's not going to really echo that very well. See what I'm saying? Let's say God is asking you to exit a relationship that is not healthy for you, maybe to break up or something like that. It might be because Jesus says it is not good that we are unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so that's something that scripture would say. But let's say we're still not sure. Let's say we have not had our weeping and Chick-fil-A moment yet, and we need some, some backup. Uh, Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, tells us that God speaks in the following ways. He speaks through his spirit, often in prayer. Uh, he speaks uh, through his word. He speaks through his teachers. I mean, we don't, we, the reason that we de- devote this much time to preaching is not because we believe Kyle speaks for God. We believe that the sermon that Kyle writes is used by God to speak to us. The sermon, not Kyle's sermon, the sermon. We believe is an active way that God speaks to us. We believe, so we hear from our teachers and our mentors and those who disciple us. We listen to his people. God also, Henry Blackaby says, speaks through circumstances. It's God's least favorite way to speak. And when God speaks, we want to look for alignment in all of those ways. So God says, saying something to you, and you're hearing that in prayer, and so you go to the word and you say, you know, I think that might be true. You may not have a line in verse, but you know that sounds biblical, but you're still not sure. So you go to your mentor or your friend or your pastor or whoever it is and say, I feel like God might be saying that to you. Do you think, might be saying this to me, do you think it's true? If you ever ask me, I think God is saying this to me, do you think it might be true? My first question is going to be, I don't know, do you think it's true? So let's say we do that. Then, Then you go to some people that you trust, godly people who say, I think God might be saying this, do you think it's true? And they might say, really, that could be possible. And when all of that lines up, here's the deal. We don't just hear, what do we also do? We obey. But at its baseline, if God wants to get your attention, you better believe he's going to get your attention. I mean, God is not your high school girlfriend. He don't play games. He's not sending little text messages just to like, hey, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm supposed to say to that now. Hi, Uh, and then nothing. No, God doesn't do that. If God wants to get your attention, he's going to get your attention. If God wants to really tell you something, he's going to get his people motivated. He's going to get his spirit going. He's going to draw you somewhere in his word. That's why we want to be regularly in the word because stuff happens there. God's going to get your attention. And it's not something to be afraid of, nor is it something to be skeptical of. I think it's something we need to learn to welcome. I think think the call of this, this series in our lives as a community is to begin to welcome God's voice spoken to us in ways we didn't expect. But I don't want us to miss this morning that God has given us himself. The missionary father sent the missionary son who sends the missionary spirit to us. To be with us, not to keep us comfortable or happy, but to be with us in every way, to convict us of sin, to speak to us. He gives us his very own presence, not a, not a shaky line, always all five dots on your iPhone, always 4G LTE, possibly 5G. I mean, it's the whole thing. 
And in the midst of our trials and our confusions and our disappointments, Jesus' voice is spoken to us through the, the Spirit who says, I'm here. You know, there's this story in the Old Testament of a little boy named Samuel. Uh, Samuel was sent to the tabernacle by his mama to be a priest, which sucked for him because his mentor was a very, very terrible priest. Uh, his name was Eli. And so Samuel had a, a pretty bad person to learn from. And one night Samuel is awoken in the middle of the night because he hears his name being called. He hears Samuel. And so Samuel runs to his master's bedside and says, Master, did you call for me? And he, the guy's like, no, go to bed. So Samuel goes back to bed and back to sleep. And again, he hears the voice. And again, he runs back. And the master's like, no, no, no. So again, Samuel goes back to sleep. Again, he hears the voice. He runs to his master and his master, see, it's really an indictment on his master, but it also tells us that if God really wants to get our attention, he's going to keep going. He, he, Samuel says to him, hey, you know, that actually might be God. <laughs> it just occurred to me. So maybe when God calls your name again, you might want to say hi back. And so Samuel goes back to his bed and he lies down and he hears Samuel and Samuel, a little boy, says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Our lives are to be shaped by a walk with the Spirit, by a walk with God, that are shaped around this word. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Jesus wants to talk to us. I think that's really great. But are we ready to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Let's pray. God, we, um, we confess that uh, we confess that we're not good listeners and that our ears are stuffed with wool and that we need your help to listen. And so we pray by the power of your spirit that you would help us to hear you in ways that surprise and convict and challenge us. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That we would welcome your speaking into us. And that not only would we hear, but that we would run to obey. And so we pray with Samuel, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Amen.